We're going to be reading a passage this morning that Jesus is on trial. He's on trial with Pilate. And I want to go ahead and invite you to turn right now to John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. And as you're turning in your scriptures to that passage, I just want to give you a little bit of context of what is happening leading up to this story. So uh, Jesus has already made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He's already also had the meal, the Last Supper with the disciples. He's uh, told them and he's going away. And they get really concerned. They get anxious about that. They don't know what it means. They don't know what the future is going to hold. And Jesus also tells them as after he leaves, he's going to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to explain that, what that means. But I'm sure they're confused. They don't understand it completely. Then they go to the garden. They go to pray. At least Jesus is praying. We know the disciples are having a hard time staying awake. But Jesus is praying. And the words of his prayer are just simply amazing. And some of the words that stick out to me, you know, when he says, may this cup be taken from me. God, if possible, but if not my will, God, but your will be done. And then shortly after that, he's arrested and he's taken before uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the former high priest and the current high priest, and they begin to question him. In fact, they begin to make accusations against him. They accuse him of blasphemy. And while Jesus is being uh, um, questioned and accused, that outside uh, Peter is getting questions as well from the crowd. And I think just find it fascinating that while Jesus on the inside is being questioned, that he stands up to his questioners and he denies nothing. But Peter on the outside, he cowers to his questioners and he denies everything. So it's just interesting to see that perspective. And then the religious leaders, they want to get rid of Jesus. They want to eliminate him because they're afraid of him. And so they don't have the power to execute him. So now they're going to bring him to Pilate, the Roman governor, because he does have the power to choose if he believes that Jesus is a threat against the Roman Empire, he can execute him. And so they take him to Pilate, and that's where we pick up in the scriptures this morning. So I would invite you to follow along with me as I read out of John 18, beginning in verse 28. This is what God's word says. He said, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, by now it was early morning, and to, the, to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did the others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my subjects, my servants, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With, that, with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And so we see in the scene initially that the Jewish leaders are taking Jesus to Pilate because they want to convince Pilate to try to crucify him, to execute him. And we're told at the beginning of this scene that 
They bring him to Pilate, but they're not willing to go inside Pilate's uh, quarters into his palace because there's limitations according to Jewish customs and even according to Old Testament law that if they come in contact with a Gentile like Pilate, that they would have to then um, quarantine themselves for a period of time. And we now have a better context to understand quarantine, don't, don't we? That they would have to remove themselves. They would have to go through some ritual cleansing for a period of days, and they don't want to do that. Why don't they want to do that? Well, they're entering into the, one of the most special times of the year for the Jewish, uh, Jewish calendar. They're in the midst of Passover. They're going to get, getting ready to celebrate uh, what's called the seven days of the unleavened bread with a bunch of festivals and feasts. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to miss out on all that. And so they would have to quarantine. They could have no contact with their family or their friends. They'd have to go through some cleansing rituals. They don't want to miss out on all that fun. And so for us to kind of understand all of that, we don't really know about those holidays in great detail. But for us to relate to that, think about Christmas to New Year's. And think about if you, for some reason, were exposed to coronavirus or risked exposure to coronavirus, and then you now had to be quarantined. You can have any contact with your family or friends for 14 days. You wouldn't want to miss out on that. Well, this period of time was actually 10 times more important, uh, bigger to the Jewish people than even our Christmas to New Year's run is. And so you can understand why they don't want to have that. And so we know they want to remain pure. But I want us to find the irony in this part of the passage. They want to remain pure by not having contact with a Gentile, but they're willing to kill one of their own Jews. Do you see the irony? Do you see the disconnect in this? You know, they're willing, they're acting more like the mafia than they are priests and religious leaders. They're colluding with the Roman governor to try to execute one of their own, to execute Jesus. Now, Pilate doesn't want anything to do with it, we learn in the story. He thinks this is a Jewish problem. He wants to give it back to them. But then he has to realize, he has to make a decision, is Jesus a threat to the Roman Empire or not? If he's a threat, then he would potentially have to execute Jesus. And so he has to figure out, is Jesus a threat? And so... He asked Jesus a question. He asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And there's, got, there's political implications with the question that he's asking Jesus. And so why does he ask this question? Well, the Jewish leaders uh, would have given him accusations already against him. We know what some of those accusations are. If we look at Luke chapter 23, verse 2, this is what they were accusing Jesus of. The word says, and they began to accuse him, Jesus, saying, we have found this man to be subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Now, is it interesting here to see the penalty of pay, not paying taxes to Caesars? There's a consequences even back then, probably much greater than ours. But the real issue is his claim to be Messiah, and they're saying it's like being a king. And so while Jesus doesn't answer Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews, he responds like any good parent would with a question himself. And so he, he asks back of Pilate, why do you say this? You know, what do you mean by this? And so, and at this moment, like any good parent does, he asks a question. You know how a parent does that, right? A kid gets in trouble and he knows he's messed up and the parents find out and the kid knows he's in trouble and he comes to the parents and he says, hey, he goes, okay, what's my punishment going to be? And a good parent says, instead of answering, says, well, I don't know. What do you think your punishment should be? Or a, a ch- your child, a teenager comes to you and says, hey, I want to go out tonight with my friends and I want to stay out past my curfew tonight. What do you think? Can I do that? And you ask as a good parent, I don't know. What do you think? And so Jesus wants to know what Pilate's perspective is in this moment. So that's why he asked him a question. And so the plot kind of shifts at this moment. Up until this point, Jesus has really been the one who everybody's been asking questions. And he's the one who's kind of the defendant. But at this point, Jesus begins to ask questions. And we begin to wonder now, who's on trial? 
Who's the defendant? Who's the judge in the story at this point moving forward? What's Jesus' role? What's Pilate's role? So it's really interesting, and it shifts at this point. Now, Jesus begins. He does give a definition of his kingdom in verse 36. He says, this, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, he's basically saying Caesar doesn't need to look at me as a threat. It's not, I'm not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world. In fact, a true test that my kingdom is not a threat is look at my followers, look at my disciples. And they're not going to act like normal soldiers. They're not going to pick up swords and fight the other Roman soldiers. They're not going to do that because my kingdom isn't about that. So he's really not a threat to Rome. He's not the kind of king that, that Rome's afraid of. The other side of that coin, though, is he's not the kind of king that the Jews are looking for. He's not the kind of king the religious leaders want. And we know from reading scripture that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom compared to the rest of the world, right? We also know that Jesus' kingdom is superior to all the other kingdoms of the world. Let's remember some of the things that, God, that Jesus has said about, his, about the kingdom. First, in this passage, he says, okay, my subjects don't fight battles with other soldiers. They don't pick up weapons. That's not what our kingdom's about. In another place of scripture, Jesus said, In my kingdom, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, that's definitely an upside-down kind of kingdom, right? That's not any any kingdom that we know of in the world. Jesus, in the the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he goes into greater detail about some different things about the kingdom of God. And some of the things that he says in that sermon, he says, Okay, in my kingdom, the poor, not the rich, are going to be blessed. In my kingdom, the mourners, not the victors, are going to be blessed. In my kingdom, the merciful, not the strong, are going to be blessed. And in my kingdom, he says, you know, the meek, not the proud, are going to inherit the, the earth. And he kind of basically has been saying all along, he says, my subjects come into the kingdom willingly. They come in because they know that I, as their king, am a good king. I'm a faithful king, a, a loving, a forgiving, a merciful, a truthful king. And also, I'm the kind of king that's different than the rest of the kind of kings in the world. I'm not a king that's like a dictator, and I don't expect my subjects to serve me. Instead, my role as the leader of this kingdom is to serve my subjects. In fact, I'm willing to lay my down my life. I'm more like a shepherd than I am a worldly king. I'm going to lay my life down for these uh, subjects in my kingdom. Jesus' kingdom, it's really appealing if you look at it. I mean, I think just the things that Jesus has said about the kingdom of God, I'm really excited to look forward to the kingdom of God and to recognize that all of us who are Christians... All of us who've trusted in Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we're literally now citizens of two kingdoms, right? I mean, I'm a citizen of the United States, and I I love my country, and I think it's a great country, and compared to all the rest of the kingdoms in the world, it's going to be at the top of the list, I think. But in comparisons to God, in comparing it to God's kingdom, I mean, the United States, it's, it's not as good, right? God's kingdom is so much better. And we know that Jesus tells us there's only going to be one kingdom that lasts forever. It's God's kingdom. And I love what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33. This is what he says. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, with its worldly kingdoms, you're going to have trouble. Trouble like we're experiencing right now, probably. But take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. And so even though we're citizens of two different kingdoms currently, and we're experiencing trouble in the kingdom in this world, we also know that Jesus' peace is available in the kingdom that we also are part of. And that that peace can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of this turmoil that we're in. And so having defined what his kingdom is not, it's not of this world. Caesar doesn't have to be worried. Now he says what it is. It's a kingdom of truth. 
And he says, this is why I came into the world. This is why I was born. This is my purpose, is to reveal the truth of God. In fact, I am the truth. I am God in flesh. I am standing truth right in front of you, Caesar. And he's basically inviting Caesar, do you want to stand on the side of truth? He's inviting him, do you want to, to be on, be, join me in what I'm doing? Or are you going to reject me? And if Jesus, or if, if uh, Caesar, sorry, if Pilate rejects Jesus, if he rejects him, if he condemns him, he's condemning truth. And so Jesus uh, says, you know what, all on the side of truth, listen to me. And he says in a broader context, all who listen to me, all who uh, pay attention to me, all who accept me, all who receive me, all who believe in me, stand on the side of truth. Anyone who condemns me, anybody who crucifies me doesn't stand on the side of truth and so Pilate then asks a question that so many in our world still ask today what is truth what is truth you know our world today so much of our world doesn't understand or doesn't believe that there's an absolute truth and so our world struggles because we don't know that there is an absolute truth even our worldly leaders oftentimes make decisions not having a moral compass or believing in the foundation of an absolute truth. And when our worldly leaders make decisions not trusting or believing in an absolute truth, they can make really poor decisions. They can make decisions that maybe are good for them or maybe good for a few people, but so often they make decisions that aren't good for so many other people. And we have to ask the question, if there's no truth in our world, if there's no absolute truth, then what can we trust in or who can we count on? And so, you know, we can ask the question even of ourselves, can we count on our health? Maybe not right now. Can we, can we trust in our financial portfolio? Maybe not. Can we trust in having a job and keeping a job? We, we don't know, right? We don't know for sure. And so even moving forward, you're thinking about can we trust our world medical community to eradicate the coronavirus? Well, they've had a good track record against other world pandemics, but we have no guarantee, do we? Can uh, our U.S. government provide for us and, and rescue us? Well, we, we hope so. We know they're trying, but even our U.S. government doesn't have unlimited resources. Can we trust in our financial leaders in Wall Street to fix the stock market and to get the economy moving in the right direction? Well, we, we hope so, but we don't know for sure. So where do we turn? What can we believe in? What can we trust? And I believe, as we read this text, but also the broader passion story in the Gospels, that it's like a banner that God is giving us, that Jesus is in control. Jesus is sovereign. This scene, this trial, is not tragic. It's not the tragedy we think it is, because we know that the scene doesn't belong to Caiaphas. It doesn't belong to Pilate, right? Jesus is in control. Jesus is the one asking the questions. Jesus is taking the lead. Jesus is the only one who's staying true to his identity, to his values, and to the message. And he's the only one who's calm and reasonable. He's the only one who does what he's supposed to do. He sticks with his plan and his identity. Look at the rest of the characters in the scene, and let's take a look at what they do under pressure or in, in this crisis. Let's look at Pilate. Pilate's the most powerful leader in this part of the world, Right? And yet he, in essence, hands over his leadership to the Jewish leader. He, he tries to placate them, even though he knows, he, you get a sense as we read the story, he doesn't believe Jesus is guilty of a crime that requires crucifixion. And yet he colludes with these Jewish leaders. He wants to continue to have a good relationship with these Jewish leaders. And so he's willing to basically sacrifice Jesus to keep this good. And he also believes he's in control. He believes he's more powerful 
than Jesus. He thinks Jesus is just this backwater dude that he thinks that he doesn't really even understand what he's doing. And he also, Pilate also believes that the Roman Empire is greater than any kingdom that's ever existed or any kingdom that will exist. And so he assumes that he's greater, the Roman government is greater. And so he, Pilate, makes poor choices based, based on faulty assumptions that lead to consequences. The Jewish leaders, let's take a look at them. So they're afraid of Jesus, right? They have power and control that they're afraid they're going to lose if they allow Jesus to continue in the path that he's going on. And so they want to eliminate him. And so they're making some decisions. They're making some choices. And so what do they do? Well, one of the things they're doing is they're going to, they're going to break one of the Ten Commandments. They're going to be a part of a plot to kill Jesus. Thou shall not kill. They're going to get involved in that, right? They're willing to get their hands dirty by colluding with the Roman governor to eliminate Jesus, one of their own. They think that they're in control, but Jesus, they think that Jesus is just a pawn in their game, but they don't understand really the bigger picture. And ultimately we learn later on in this passage that they're willing to trade Caesar for God. They betray their faith and they, have, they say at the end of this passage that they have no king other than Caesar. And this is a direct contradiction to God's law in the Old Testament where God had told them, you shall have no other king but me. And then when God allowed Israel to have kings, it's because he authorized it, that he anointed those kings. And so they, in essence, they turn their back on God and say, we have no king but Caesar. They're willing to choose Barabbas, a known criminal, a rebel, a terrorist against the Roman Empire. They're willing to choose a terrorist over Jesus. And so the, the religious leaders make some decisions based on some faulty assumptions, and it has consequences. Well, what about Jesus? Again, Jesus is the one in this scene that appears calm and in control, even though he's on trial potentially to be crucified. So why does he act this way? Well, Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God in flesh. He's got this under control, right? He knows that his authority and his kingdom come from a higher place than the religious leaders or even Pilate can, can uh, have authority. And so he also knows that God is good and that God is just and that God is working. And he knows God's plans are going to have just awesome uh, results. They're going to have great opportunities if Jesus is willing to be obedient, even suffer, even die in, in obedience to that. He has a deep abiding relationship with his heavenly father and he trusts his heavenly father in fully. Trust his provision, trust in his plans, and he's simply willing to obey God's instructions for him. And so in our own challenges, in our own trials, what decisions are we going to make? Are we going to pretend that we're in control when we're not fully in control, are we? Are we going to, or are we going to surrender control to Jesus, to the King of all kings, to the Lord of all lords? I just want to encourage us as we kind of come to the end of the passage, let's not choose the Barabbases that the world is offering us. When we can choose Jesus. What are some ideas about that? Well, you know, we probably, many of us probably have a lot of extra time on our hands right now. And what are we doing with that extra time? You know, are we going to binge watch TV? Are we going to watch Netflix? Are we going to spend all of our time on Facebook or playing video games? And those things in of themselves aren't bad. But if we take the whole time and try to fill the emptiness of time with all those things, we're maybe choosing some Barabbas's, Barabbas options instead of some better options. So we have extra time. This is a great time for us to spend more time in God's Word and spend time with God through His Word. 
It's an opportunity for us to spend more time with God in prayer, to seek him in prayer. And certainly for the challenges that we're facing, this is a great opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer. We've got the opportunity of 24-7 prayer that the church is engaging in, where people are picking an hour time slot all during the different times of the day. And together as a church, we're seeking the Lord for our, our country, for our nation, for the challenge of the coronavirus for our church and for so many needs in our, in our congregation in other ways. And so we can be a part of 24-7 prayer. We can spend time with family, uh, quality time with our family. And how many times have we said, boy, I wish I had more time to spend with my family? Or we can spend time with friends. Maybe we can't be with them physically, but we can give them a call on the phone or we can FaceTime them and think about some friends maybe you haven't contacted or connected with in a while and you've not done those things because you haven't felt like you've had the time, but now you've got the time. Or it's a great time for us to serve others. There's still ways we can serve others, even with the limitations that we've been given currently. I know there's a number of needs in our community that Doug's going to come back here at the end and give some announcements. You know, our food bank needs uh, more food. They're desperate for food. The rescue mission has some similar needs. The blood bank is running out of blood, and we can donate blood. Um, there's ways that we can serve others. We, we can... Um, help our medical community. Our medical community has a lot of needs. And there are practical things that we can do. Uh, If you go to our website, there's things that you can do to help meet some of those needs of our medical community. We can simply just help a neighbor or a friend or a coworker. I mean, we know people probably who might be struggling or who are isolated or who might have needs. And so let's reach out. Let's demonstrate, right, the love of Christ. And Jesus, again, uh, had told us, he said, hey, the world is going to know you are my disciples by your love. So some of us are also struggling with some fear and some anxiety and some loneliness and even maybe depression. And those can be natural feelings of response to the situation that we're in or a sense of crisis. And we don't want to get stuck in those feelings, though. And so and, and to alleviate the pain that we have uh, or we're experiencing, sometimes we choose choices that Barab- like Barabbas that the world wants to offer us to try to alleviate pain. And some of those choices ultimately in long term aren't healthy. And so I want to encourage you, don't choose those things. Don't choose things like alcohol or drugs to dull the pain or, you know, binge eating or viewing pornography or, you know, a dozen other unhealthy things that we can try to do but ultimately aren't going to help us in the long run. But let's choose healthier choices. You know, reach out to a friend and let them know you're struggling. Let them share your burden with them. And especially Christian brothers and sisters, they can pray for you. They can support you and encourage you. They can give you wise counsel. So let's reach out and share that, those burdens with each other. That's part of what the church can do is we're going through this together. Also, I would encourage you, if you don't have that friend or somebody you can contact and you can reach out to to help you or support you, I'd encourage you to go to that connection card again on our website and let us know if you're struggling or if you're carrying a burden that seems overwhelming. Let us know. We'd like to help you. We want to be able to walk through this process with you to be able to support you and encourage you in the midst of some difficult struggles. And I want to also encourage us that we need to acknowledge that all of us have made some poor decisions in our life at, at certain points. You know, decisions, poor decisions like Pilate and like the religious leaders, maybe not decisions that would lead to somebody's death or to a crucifixion, but certainly decisions that have hurt somebody or wounded somebody. I mean, think about, you know, if you're married, you've probably done something that's at time has hurt your spouse's heart. If you're a parent, you've probably at times done something that's wounded one of your children or some of your children. You've probably done something that's broken trust with a friend at some point. 
you've probably made a decision that's even caused something within yourself to die. And so we need to acknowledge that we're no different than Pilate. We're no different than the religious leaders. Um, If we think we're different, we're fooling ourselves. But no, we're in the same soup as they are. We all have made poor choices at times that have led to consequences, right? And Paul talks about this in Romans. Paul says all of us, every one of us, have sinned. All of us have made bad decisions that have resulted with bad consequences. All of us have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is is that Jesus not only stood up to the truth before Pilate and the religious leaders, Jesus stood up for truth for us. Jesus stood up for truth on the cross where he proclaimed, he testified the good news, the truth of God's sacrificial love for sinners, for sinners like you and me. He went to the grave bearing our guilt, our burden, our sin, to the death, to the grave for us so that in him we might have the freedom that comes from of him taking on our sin and being able to walk into this new kingdom uh, that he's inviting us to be a part of. And he certainly is inviting us to be a part of his kingdom now until forever. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, to trust Christ, to be the leader of your life, to be basically like your king, now's a great opportunity for you to do that. You simply need, I just want to invite you at the end of the service to pray a very simple prayer with me. And, and we'll invite Jesus into your life uh, for you. And so as we kind of wrap up this morning, I just want to let you know this scene testifies to us today that even in our challenging circumstances that God will accomplish his purpose, right? He's going to reveal his glory. Nothing will limit him. Not No human being, no virus, no economic crisis is going to stop him from accomplishing his purpose and revealing his glory if he wants to reveal his glory. God is in control of history. History does not control God. Even this dark scene in the Bible that we just read about that appears to have little hope in it. If God can be sovereign in this Passover scene, uh, if he can manifest his glory and accomplish his purposes when it all seems dark, then our crisis can be no different. If God can transform this hour of trial, this hour of suffering and pain and loss and even death for Jesus, then he can transform any hour. He can transform our hour of crisis or our hour of need. This passage gives me hope. It gives us hope that even in our current circumstances where we might feel like we have little control and we probably don't have a lot of control and we don't know the future, that our king is sovereign. He's at work, working through all of it. And there may still be pain and suffering that we have to experience, but God is going to use all of that to do his work and to to proclaim and to testify to the truth of his kingdom and the truth of his purpose and what he's doing. And the question for us is, can we see him working in all of this? Can we hear about him working in all of this? Can we join him in what he's doing to help alleviate those who are suffering and those who are experiencing pain? Jesus stands at trial in this scene. And John has submitted all the evidence that we need to have to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the King of kings. And the question is, will we believe? Even in these times of difficulty, will we believe and will we trust in him? Jesus is testing us. How will we respond? Are we going to respond in faith? Are we going to respond in fear? And so this morning, I'm going to invite all of us as we kind of wrapping up this sermon series, Believe, as we walk through all of John, I'm going to invite us to to profess our faith in Jesus, to proclaim what we believe the truth of God to be. And we're going to do that by reciting the Apostles' Creed together. So I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to do this together. And those words 
are going to be on your screen. And so I'm going to invite you to stand up wherever you're at in your home, and we're going to read these out loud together. Read them loud enough that your family can hear you, or maybe your neighbors. And we're going to read it out loud, and we're going to testify to God's truth here. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We're so grateful as we now enter into Holy Week and to know all that Jesus was willing to endure, that he was willing to stand up for truth, that he was willing to come and be with us and to proclaim the truth of you and your revelation, that we might know who you are and what you're about. And God, we're thankful that Jesus was willing to stand for the truth, to go all the way to the cross for our sins, for our failure, for our bad decisions, that all of us might have freedom freedom from sin, freedom from death. He was willing to go to the grave, and even in the power of your love, he was raised from the dead. And so, God, we give you glory. We give you thanks. And I want to just pray right now, if you're somebody who's ready to receive Christ as your Savior, if you're really ready to stand on his side of the truth, that you can do that simply by praying these words with me. Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've made bad decisions, that I've sinned, that I've fallen short of the glory of God, that I'm just like Pilate, I'm just like the Jewish religious leaders that at times I've made decisions that have had bad consequences. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of those sins. And Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender control to you and to give you the right place in my life to invite you to be the leader of my life, to be my king, Jesus. And Jesus, I'm thankful that you're willing to do that. And I pray that you'd help me now moving forward to be faithful as your disciple all the days of my life. And so, Father, we give you praise, we give you thanksgiving. God, we pray that now as we enter into Holy Week, that you'd be at work through all of us. God, that this time would come alive for us. That we might find hope in this story. Hope when we're struggling. Hope that we know that you are are real and that you are in control. And so, God, we give ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.